So uh, there's a guy named Rodney Stark who is a well-respected sociologist of religion, and he teaches at Baylor, and in 1998 he wrote an article called Live Longer, Healthier, and Better, The Untold Benefits of Becoming a Christian in the Ancient World. This is what he writes. He says, in a world entirely lacking social services, Christians were their brother's keepers. The willingness of Christians to care for others was put on dramatic public display when two great plagues swept the empire, one beginning in 165 and the second in 251. Mortality rates climbed higher than 30%. Pagans tried to avoid all contact with the afflicted, often casting the still living into the gutters. Christians, on the other hand, nursed the sick, even though some believers died doing so. Christianity also offered a strong community in a disorganized, chaotic world. Greco-Roman cities were terribly overpopulated. Antioch, for example, had a population density of about 117 inhabitants per acre, which is more than three times that of New York City today. Tenement cubicles were smoky, dark, often damp, and always dirty. The smell of sweat, urine, feces, and decay permeated everything. Outside on the street, mud, open sewers, and manure lay everywhere, and even human corpses were found in the gutters. Newcomers and strangers, divided into many ethnic groups, harbored bitter antagonism that often erupted into violent riots. In the midst of all of this, Christianity offered a unifying subculture, bridging these divisions and providing a strong sense of common identity. To cities filled with homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity and hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered immediate fellowship. And to cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. In short, Christianity offered a longer, more secure, and happier life. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. So we're going to talk about tonight this idea of the church as a family. And this is an image that's all over the Bible. Um, that God is presented as a father and that other Christians are, are shown to us as being brothers and sisters. In a way, this is actually the climax of the Bible, that God becomes a father to believers and he brings them into his family. Now, I know some of you are familiar with this idea and you've experienced it. Others of you, um, this might sound strange and foreign. Maybe you don't trust families. Maybe your family is almost non-existent. Or maybe your family is deeply broken or fractured or estranged. Uh, or being part of a loving family is something that you've given up on. Well, what I want to do tonight is I just want to give you a framework, a picture of the new family that God gives us in Jesus. And to do this, we're going to look at Mark 10, verses 13 through 31. It's printed on the back of your bulletin. Um, and it's up here on the screen, too, if you can read that. <clears throat> we'll follow along there. This is God's word for us tonight. It's completely true, and he gives it to us in love. And they were bringing children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to them, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. 
Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And he said, and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. God. Um, so outline for tonight is uh, first, how do I enter the family? Second, what is the alternative? And third, what is life like in the family of God? Um, so first, how do I enter the family? So I have a, a handful of memories from childhood um, of looking in on another family, you know, whether it be a friend's family or someone I know, looking in and seeing the way that they love each other um, and, and being filled with longing. Um, looking in and saying, I, I, I want that to be true. I would love to be a part of that family. Um, and this is something we see in movies a lot. This, like, this is a pretty normal movie trope, right? Where you've got the family at the dinner table laughing, enjoying each other, and then outside sitting in a car, somebody's watching them. Like, not creepy. There's the creepy watching in movies. That's there. Um, but the longing watching, like the... Uh, like wishing they could be a part of that family, but somehow they weren't, for whatever reason, they weren't allowed in. And that conveys this sense that we all, like, we all know that we belong in a family. Like we want to be in a family that's full of love. And in our passage tonight, Jesus is surrounded by these families who are bringing their children to him. And they want Jesus to bless their children. They want to be allowed in. And then the disciples see this. And they start, you know, they start acting like Jesus' secret service detail, right? They're like, stop, you can't come here. They rebuke, they rebuke these families, tell the people to stay away. And Jesus sees this, he gets angry. So why does he get angry? Look at what he says. He says, do not keep them away for the kingdom of God belongs to them. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus says the way into the kingdom of God, the way into the family of God is to become like a child. This is because the way into the family of God is through adoption. Adoption is central to the Christian faith. Um, One theologian says this. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much that person makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his entire outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. So what is adoption? Um, well, it's at least two things. And I want to say those. It's, it's a legal status and it's an experience. So first, it's a legal status. Adoption is a legal action. Often when we talk about salvation, we think about it only in negative terms. It's, it's debt that's forgiven or it's um, guilt and wrath taken away. But there's, there's more to it. It's not just pardon of sin, but the way that the Christian faith talks about salvation, that it's actually gaining something. It's gaining the full rights of children. 
And when the Bible uses the language of adoption, it uses this phrase, it says that we are adopted as sons. Now, some of you um, would hear this and think, wait, why does it say sons? Why does it say sons and daughters? Or why does it say children? Asking, is this sexist language? Is this the Bible being sexist? And actually, it's the exact opposite. Because in the Roman Empire, where the the New Testament was, the the culture that the New Testament was written into, in the Roman Empire, sons had special status. They got the inheritance. So if somebody had too many sons, they would actually give some of their sons up for adoption so that um, they would be able to preserve their wealth and preserve their family name. And if someone of status didn't have any sons, they would adopt someone so that they could pass their inheritance on to someone and pass along their wealth and their status. And by using the term son to apply to all Christians, the Bible is saying that the status of being a child of God isn't reserved to male children, but it's to all who have faith in Jesus Christ. It is not just a legal status, but it's also an experience. In Galatians 4, 6, uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about adoption, and he says this. He says, because you are now sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And one pastor says that what, what Paul is talking about here is more than the objective fact of our adoption, more than the objective fact of our sonship. Right? You, can be, you can be adopted and not experience your sonship. You can be forgiven and completely accepted and not feel that way. Paul here is talking about an experience. I use my daughter, Mary Landon, as an example. So Mary Landon, she's five. She broke her arm last week on a trampoline. Well, she was getting off the trampoline and fell off the ladder and broke her arm. And um, she's fine. She's really resilient. She's tough. She's got a big pink and purple cast. Um, and well, she keeps getting wet. Y'all have casts. You don't get a cast wet. I had to sit with a hairdryer in her cast for like 15 minutes a day. Um, she's fine, though. She's great. So Mary Landon has a le- her legal status is that she's my child. She's my daughter. Um, what that means, right, she's on my health care. Um, when she went to the ER with Mary Clark for her arm, she got a cast. It's all paid for. She's taken care of because she's my daughter. She has a roof over her head. She's got clothes on her back. She's got food on the table. This is because of her legal status as my daughter. Legally, I have a responsibility as her father to do these things. If I don't, she will be taken out of my control, out of my care. She will be taken out of my custody. She also has the experience of being my daughter. Not just the legal status, but the experience. Because when she fell off the trampoline, what did she do? She cried out for her parents. She ran to me. She cried, and I held her. And since she has only one working arm now... um, I help her get dressed. And Mary Clark and I help try to keep the cast dry when we give her baths. And um, when she cries, she cries out, Daddy, Mommy. Um, and we care for her. Right? She has an experience of being a child. And this is what Paul is saying in Galatians 4, 6. That the spirit of Jesus is sent into our hearts crying out, Abba, which means Daddy. Crying out, Daddy, Father. And what do I do when Mary Landon cries out, Daddy? I hold her in my arms. I'm her dad. Like, that's... That's what you do as a dad when you have a daughter. You care for them. You hold them. Look at verse 16. This is what Jesus is showing us. He took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. When you put your faith in Christ, when you let yourselves be taken into his arms as a child, you let him lay his hand on you and bless you. This is how you enter the family of God. You receive the embrace of Jesus. And through Jesus, the embrace of the Father. God adopts you as his child. And you can know and experience this even if you have a bad father, a bad earthly father. There's a, um, a hymn 
praise my soul to sing of heaven with this line in it that says, Father-like he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame he knows. In his hands he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. This was written by a man who had a horrible, horrible father. But God was able to heal him and to give him himself as a good father. So we enter the family of God through adoption. What is the alternative? What is the alternative? So Jesus embraces the children and then he sets out on his journey. And then as he's setting out, we're told a young man runs up to him, falls on his knees and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And there's a little dramatic irony here, right? Jesus just told his disciples um, how to do this. He just, you have to become a child to enter the kingdom of heaven, to enter the family of God. He just did this. And not five minutes later, this guy runs up and says, how do I get in? And so Jesus and this young man have this conversation about the law, the expectations on him as a Jewish man. And the young man says, I've done it. I've grown up. I've accomplished everything that I'm supposed to do. I'm well adjusted. I've got a good job. All my ducks are in a row. But it hasn't quite satisfied me. I feel like I'm still lacking. How do I inherit eternal life? What's missing for me? So what is this guy doing? I mean, I think he's doing what we all do, right? He's trying to prove his worth. He's rich and successful. He's a good guy. He's the guy that every Jewish mother hoped their son would grow up to be. And in effect, he's saying, I've done it. Like, I've matured. I was a child. Now I'm a man. I'm an adult. Why do I feel like something's missing? Do you guys ever feel this? I feel this. Like, we feel this when we try to prove our worth, when we try to prove our wealth to ourselves or to others or to God. And on the other side of our accomplishments, they're never enough. And Jesus is saying that the way into the kingdom of God the way into eternal life, the way into the family of God, even the way to grow as a Christian is not through growing from a child into an adult, but it's from moving from an orphan to a child of God. The way that Jesus brings people into the family of God is through adopting orphans. It's not the accomplished adults who get in. It's the homeless orphans. They are the ones who become children of God. Jesus says to the rich man, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus is saying the only way in is to stop proving your worth. Belden Lane, um, who's a, a professor and author, he wrote a book called Backpacking with the Saints. And in it, he asks this question. He says, what happens when a gifted child finds himself in a wilderness where he's stripped away of any way of proving his worth? What happens when there is no audience, nothing he can achieve? He crumbles. The ego dissolves. Only then is he able to be loved. Y'all, this is so hard for us because we don't believe that we're lovable apart from our accomplishments. And this is hard for the rich young man. It's hard for us to believe. It's hard for him to believe. It's even hard for the disciples to believe, right? They respond to Jesus after he tells them this. Who then can be saved? We doubt that we are lovable apart from our accomplishments. We can't imagine what would happen if we couldn't prove our worth. And little children don't do this. They don't try to prove anything. They just raise their hands and expect to be taken care of. Our son George is 16 months and he's old and he just walks around like this all the time. Um, He just assumes that he is so important that we're going to drop everything all the time to come and pick him up and take care of him. It's just this all the time walking around saying ball because everything's a ball. So just ball, 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 ball. Um, And what do we do when you see him walking around like that in our house? Ball, ball. We pick him up. 
right? Because he's our son. He is that important that we drop everything and pick him up. What do you think selling all his possessions would do to that rich man? What do you think selling all of his possessions would do to that rich young man? It would probably turn him into a child. He would be unable to achieve his way into anything, to buy his way into anything. He'd have to lift his arms and expect God to pick him up. But the rich young man can't do it, and we're told he goes away sad. And he illustrates a reality for us, that on your own, you cannot enter the family of God. And if you try to get in on your own merits by proving your worth, you're just going to leave sad. And the disciples are blown away by Jesus' response to this man. They say, who can be saved? And Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And then Peter says, what about us? I mean, we left everything for you. And then Jesus is replying, verse 29. He says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or their children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and children and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So what is life like in the, in the family of God? Jesus says that life in the family of God is better. He says it's a hundred times better. He says it's better in this life and it's better in the age to come. So it's better in this life. Jesus promises that in his church, those who are adopted by his father will be welcomed into a big family. Brothers, sisters, mothers, and children. Now, this is why this is such good news. Here's why. In the church, God will give you siblings. Now, some of you are only children. Some of you are or will be estranged from your siblings. But in the family of the church, God will give you siblings. This is, this is what makes college fellowship so sweet because it's like being surrounded by a bunch of Irish twins, right? Y'all are all within a couple years of each other. Um, it doesn't end here. He will give you siblings. He'll give you brothers and sisters in Christ for the rest of your life in the church. It's good news because he'll give you siblings. It's good news because he'll give you parents. Right? Some of you have absent parents, estranged parents, horrible parents. Some of you have lost parents. Jesus says in the family of the church, God will give you parents. He loves you. And in the church, God will give you children. You won't need to be able to have children to have children. Some of you won't be able to have children, or you'll choose not to have children, or you won't get married. But in the family of the church, God will give you children. Getting practical, um, this is the relational reality of the church, that the church is the family of God. And as I was thinking about this, I asked myself, I asked myself so what? Like, why do I need this? What is, what is so exciting about being in a family? Um, and I remembered a few years ago, I asked my son, Leo, who's seven, I asked him this question, like, what's so great about being in our family? Um, I didn't ask it like sarcastic. It was like, what's great about being in our family? And his response was love, which is awesome. <laughs> that he said, love, love is what's great about being in our family. Um, that's, what's, that's what's true. That's what families are for. God gives us families that we might learn the love of God, that we might learn how to love each other. Um, so application for you in this, um, what does it look like to belong to the family of a local church? Now, belonging to a local church means calling that church home and taking, taking responsibility to care for those in your church family. And the church calls this membership. Membership it's, in the church family is not like membership in a club or membership in a, a gym where you can come and go as you please. It's really more like belonging to a family, like your family at home. 
Membership in the church is deeply significant. In fact, the way that you enter membership in the church is by making a two-way promise, by saying, I am going um, to care for you, and the church saying the same back to you. That there's these promises that you make so that you can fulfill the commands that God gives his people in the church. So I just want to read a couple of these, what, what he says that the church is supposed to be, the family of the, of the church is supposed to be. He says to be devoted to one another and to serve one another and to carry one another's burdens, to teach and admonish one another, to encourage one another daily, to spur one another on to love and good works, to obey your leaders in the church and submit to them for their keeping watch over your, over your souls. So leaving or joining a, a church is just as significant as joining or leaving a physical family. And you know how beautiful and significant it is to, to receive a new member into a family. Any of you who are old enough to remember younger siblings being born, or if you've adopted children in your family, remember when the child was brought home. It is beautiful and meaningful and significant. And on the other side, suppose someone says to their family, I'm leaving. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Right? That's significant too. And it's ugly. And it's really sad to lose a member of your family like that. And the same is true for the church family. But the trouble is, um, I don't think we really believe God when he tells us that our, the local church is our family. Normally, we just see them as a group of friends who simply enjoy attending the same church services together. It's kind of like, like different people. We think about it like people having different preferences for restaurants. Like we like eating here, but they like eating over there. Or we like worshiping here, and they like, but those people over there like worshiping over there. Um, and just because church families make mistakes and sin against each other doesn't mean that we shouldn't join them. That would be like concluding that simply because your, your physical family is imperfect, um, they aren't needed or helpful. But the reality is that because of the work of God's spirit, healthy church families do love and serve and care for each other and the people around them. The, the church family really is God's love in action. And Jesus says... I don't know if you got this. You probably did. Jesus says that it comes with persecutions. That when you come into the church family, it will come with persecutions. What does this mean? So uh, there's this great mid-90s comedy. It's PG. It's called The First Kid. Does anyone know who Sinbad is? Sort of? Okay. He was like the the height of 90s comedy. Um, Early mid-90s comedy. You can, you can uh, debate me on that if you want, because I'm probably wrong. But So there's this movie called First Kid that I saw in the theaters in middle school. And it's, um, it's this movie about a guy who's the son of the president, and he lives in the White House. Makes sense. And, he, um, and Sinbad is his, his bodyguard. He's his secret service detail. And it's like the story of the kid and Sinbad becoming friends. And then someone takes a hit out on the kid's life and tries to assassinate him. Spoiler um, why? Like, why would someone try to take, try to assassinate the child of the president? Um, this is this is the plot of lots of movies, right? There's there's lots of movies that's like going after um, an important person's kid. Well, if you are evil and you're trying to hurt someone, especially someone powerful like the president, you go after their kids, right? This is the movie Ransom. This is. Like, this is what people do. They go after the kids of the important person. And the same is true with God. Because the world is against God, the world goes after his kids. The persecution of being a part of God's family comes because of who your heavenly father is. He has an enemy who hates him and his children. 
And this is a reality for those who follow a king who was crucified. So that's why for the persecutions. So how then do you enter the family of God? How do you get into the family of God? Well, in the end, there's only two ways that we can approach God. On our own or through Jesus. And if we do it on our own, if we're trying to prove our worth, our lives will look like the rich young man's. Having everything that the world offers and left with this deep longing the world can't satisfy. And when we hear the call to become like children, we're going to go away sad. Forever on the outside of God's family. But if we look at Jesus, if we focus on Jesus, the one who is the only one who deserves to be in God's family. Who wanted to share the love of his father with brothers and sisters. So he was sent to our world and became a child. And though he was rich, rich beyond measure, had all the treasures of heaven, he gave it up. He gave it up. And on the cross, he was orphaned by his father. Jesus experienced the heavenly father's absence on the cross so that you never will. Jesus, who in his baptism heard, this is my beloved son with whom I well pleased. On the cross, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He heard nothing. Silence. Because on the cross, Jesus suffered the wrath of his father. He, he was orphaned on the cross, excluded from the family of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says that for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus did this. He went to the cross for you to bring you into his forever family, so that you might be adopted as sons and daughters and given to one another as brothers and sisters. So that in the resurrection, he might give you eternal life. And if we focus there, if we focus on Jesus instead of on ourselves, it will radically change the way we live. If we focus there that Jesus has purchased our adoption through his death and resurrection, if we focus there, then the conviction of our hearts and the core of our identity will be, I am God's child and he is my father. And that will shape and control your worship and your prayers and your whole outlook on life. My final thought. Um, Andy Crouch, who's a speaker and writer, uh, he said this. He says, everyone came into the world looking for one thing. The moment we were born, we were looking for a face. We were born, and in the shock and surprise of birth, we open our eyes and we look for a face. Because until another sees us, we do not know who we are. And we look for someone who is looking for us. For every human being, our deepest drama is looking for someone who is looking for us. Friends, in Jesus Christ, this is what God has given you in the church. Brothers and sisters who are looking for you, to love you, and to welcome you into God's forever family. Let's pray.